Welcome to Last Call with Jamie and Christian. Our guest today, Seth Greenberg. Coach Greenberg has 383 career wins, has rebuilt three programs in Long Beach State, South Florida, and Virginia Tech. Seth also worked on one of the best staffs in college basketball history under Terry Holland, a personal favorite of mine, uh, alongside Jim Laranega, Jeff Jones, and Dave Odom. Coach Greenberg was also two-time AC Coach of the Year and won regular season titles in both the Big West and Conference USA. Currently, Coach Greenberg is an ESPN analyst and broadcaster who always gives the coach's point of view, which I say is needed inside the business of promoting hoops. It's also important to give the view from inside the locker room, and Coach Greenberg does an amazing job of that, bringing 35-plus years of coaching experience to the viewer. Our guest today, Coach Seth Greenberg. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Uh, good to be here. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long and winding road, let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot of pit stops along the way, three kids, three grandkids, uh, very rewarding, a lot of, and a lot of unbelievable memories. Well, we're going to dive into to, to majority of that, but I want to start with um, this coaching staff that you're with at Virginia. Um, what was that like? I mean, Terry Holland, I, Coach, you probably don't know this. I grew up outside of Richmond, Virginia, so I, I love Virginia Cavalier basketball. I grew up. Um, knowing a ton about it and watching it. And that's kind of the, the thing about it. And so Larinaga, obviously one of the best coaches in college basketball history. Jeff Jones, I think, is one of the most underrated coaches in college basketball history. And Dave Odom, obviously, uh, excellent coach at a lot of different stops. You know, what's it like being inside a coaching room with all of those minds working as one? It was great. I mean, I don't you know, I was like a little fly on the wall mostly. I mean, that was 1983-84. We went to the Final Four that year. That was the year after Ralph Sampson. You know, and in fact, when we were our last game of the season, we lost in the ACC tournament and we broke out these brand new blue uniforms, which have only been worn once. Probably they were putting mothballs after that. But uh, we thought we were going to the NIT, you know, just kind of a backstory. We thought we were going to the NIT. I mean, we were like 17, 13 or something, but we were like seven and, and I think we were seven to nine in the ACC. Coach Holland and I go for a run that day. We're figuring out where they're going to send us, you know, are we going to, Next thing we know, we're in a tournament and we're, you know, we beat Iona, then we beat Arkansas, we beat Indiana, obviously. And uh, it was a, it was a great ride, but it, it was interesting. So, I, you know, let's say, you know, Dave Odom and Jim Laranega were Coach Holland's longtime assistants. You know, Dave Odom, just a great, great coach, teacher, person. Jim, we called him Murdoch, like from the A-team, because he loved the A-team. So I called him Murdoch. <laughs> I gave him a nickname. He And he and I kind of we're very close to but we kind of clashed a little bit because I, I wasn't afraid to say my opinion. Obviously, Jim, two New Yorkers, you put two New Yorkers in a room, you're going to have fireworks. Coach Holland called them shit stirrers. We were the shit stirrers. <laughs> uh, and then JJ, who was obviously played, was a great player at Virginia and uh, very focused, very methodical, very uh, locked in. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was an amazing, amazing year. I tell people all the time, Coach Holland, I got let go of the University of Pittsburgh. Jim Ironig didn't even know I was coming to work on the staff. I worked five-star that summer uh, between Coach Holland, who my high school teammate, Mark Ivoroni, played on that first ACC national championship team. So I got to know Coach Holland when he was recruiting Marcus. And then obviously through five-star, through Dave Odom, I got to know him better. And uh, I can say those seven, eight months uh, changed my life. I mean, like, Coach Holland was my mentor. He And, and this is a big philosophy I have in that, Everyone's got to invest in someone mm. and with asking nothing in return. And Coach Holland invested in me. He saved my coaching career. He became my confidant. You know, I said it on game day. I, I, I have not made a major decision in my life from 83, 84 till when coach started to fail without uh, basically consulting him, including asking my wife to marry me. Wow. I mean, it sounds crazy, but, uh, Every job I changed when I left Miami to go to Long Beach State, three o'clock in the morning for two hours. Uh, when I when I left, uh, you know, Long Beach State to go to South Florida. When I, you know, I mean, he's just always been there as uh, as someone I could lean on, and and that's really important. I think anyone in a position who can help someone else, asking nothing in return, that that was a really really valuable lesson. So I, I had great mentors. Dave Odom helped me along the way. Obviously, Coach Holland, you know, the relationship with Jim. Uh, but uh, Coach Holland's, I, I I I helped host his his memorial service, 
at, at U-Haul, at U-Haul, at, at, at JPJ, myself and Ralph, and uh, which was, I, I told Miss Allen when she called me up, I said, that's like the greatest honor that I've ever received. I mean, yeah. for her to think enough of me to ask me to do that, you know, with all these people on the stage uh, was 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 kind of like a circle of life moment for me. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, for people to know, like Coach Holland, like obviously you had a chance to work with him and alongside him and build, you know, he was obviously a guy you worked for, turned into a mentor, turned into a friend. Um, you know, I called Coach Coach Holland when I first got the job at Mount St. Mary's, and I was kind of looking at some different defenses and different stuff, and I, I could speak to his kindness. I mean, he gave me two hours that day and said, you know, call me back in two weeks. And then he gave me two more hours that day. And then he checked back in later that year. And, uh, you know, just of a man of that matter. He was telling you to foul every play because all we did was foul every play. (laughs) You know, he definitely wasn't one to say not to foul. But I just thought it was amazing how much time he gave a complete stranger. He's that's who he is. That's the essence of who he is. He's the kindest, most competitive. Like people – the yeah. gentleman coach thing is a little BS. About, <laughs> that ball went up or in practice. Yeah. Like if you saw Coach Holland covering his mouth like this, he was absolutely addressing the officials. Yeah. But, um, but he, he's he's the best. I mean when I, you when you well, watch these guys still coaching, do you see some of him and what are some things that you see from from them from from Coach Holland? You know, I think that you know Jim Laranega was interesting because Jim uh First of all, he was one of the first people that really got into, uh, you know, the psychology part of coaching, mm. the sports psychology. He really bought into Bob Rattel, which he brought that to Virginia. I still remember we're in the final, we're at the final four, and we're all in this this we're all laying on the floor on our backs, and, and Rattel is doing this imagery stuff with us, and like Coach Holland's cracking jokes to me. It was hilarious, but <laughs> but, but Jim was ahead ahead of the curve. I think that. The poise that Jim Laranega possesses mm. uh, is very similar to the poise that Coach Holland possessed. Um, you know, Jim has kind of been a circle of life in terms of, you know, you remember now, he first became a head coach at Bowling Green at Division One. I. I mean, it was run and jump, yeah. trapping, creating a lot, almost a version of havoc, which you were part of. Yeah, he was like up um, and down and all that stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, they, were yeah. they were coming to get you. Then he went to pack line. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, he was also ahead of the curve with being ball screen centric. Mm-hmm. But I think just the poise and the presence and the, the, the calm approach uh, was what Jim carried over. JJ was the quietly competitive s- spirit. Yeah. And um, doing things, whatever you're going to do, all right, you do it the right way. Almost right. Almost right is wrong. Right. There, was, there wasn't a lot of gray area. You know, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. And that was, I think, JJ, I think I'm watching his teams at ODU. I think that's what his, yeah. his teams are a lot like. God, what a what an underrated coach Jeff Jones is. Oh, he's a terrific coach. Oh, it's just fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, when you coach, you know, you know how it is, coach. You stand sideline to sideline and you recognize, all right, this guy can really coach. Uh, he's um, a good coach. Know. Good coach and, and, you know, and he's doing great things like, uh, you know, obviously with, you know, the battle against cancer and what he's doing to be public about it and bringing awareness. And uh, JJ's, uh, JJ's an interesting cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But definitely competitive. And I think when you watch, oh. you know, and like those first couple teams I remember watching from Virginia were really his teams. You know, he had just yeah. sort of taken over and, Young junior, he was one of the youngest coaches in the history of the ACC, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Junior Burrow and Harold Dean, and you know, the way those guys defended, but they also, you know, he ran great stuff offensively, and yeah. you know, um, just a really excellent coach. And uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that can get it done that people don't realize. Um, but you know, Jeff is definitely, you know, I've always put him in the top 10% of coaches out there in terms of coaching the game, what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and having his team yeah. ready. Yeah, no doubt about it. JJ's good. You know, Coach, I, I want to talk a little bit about about you and and your coaching style. Uh, being a part of those 
you know, you, you, you had some really tough jobs. I wish I would have loved to see you at a job where you had everything. Yeah, um, me too. But, but, you know, Long Beach State, uh, South Florida, uh, tough, two really tough jobs, Virginia Tech. And for people out there that don't realize, um, really, in my view, before you got there, Virginia Tech really was just a football school. Um, it had not won in basketball. It wasn't a place where if you were in the state of Virginia, you'd go to play. Um, but I really felt like you really turned the tide there and um, and had to, had the toughness and the grit and, you know, brought guys in from Baltimore and all over different places to kind of get the job done. Um, talk a little bit just about your ability to turn those programs around. And, I mean, Coach, it's really hard to do that, those three different places, and you did it flawlessly. Um, well, Long, Beach State was the, Long Beach State was, the, uh, you know, obviously Long Beach State people. So we, when we took the job, Joe Harrington and I was his assistant. We were playing in the gold mine, which was basically a 1,900 square foot, I mean, 900 seat high school gymnasium. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, uh, it was a great lesson. We, we learned, so how can we take a negative and make it a positive? So we, right. you know, our goal was to make the toughest home court, obviously, in the Midwest. And then, like I said, well, how are we going to rebuild this program? You know, Southern California. We didn't leave Southern California. Yeah. For, and we said we can get good enough players that are going to play hard enough, they're going to be competitive enough, they're going to buy into player development and bring a, a toughness to Southern California basketball. And that, that's kind of been the focal point of, you know, rebuilding is just evaluating up. Everyone gets caught up in where guys rated. I really don't care where guys rated. I want to, I want to know, is he in love with the game? Is he loving competitive and, and, and getting lost in winning? Is, is he getting lost in his teammates? Uh, does he want to allow himself to be coached? Uh, and then, like Long Beach, we redshirted almost every single player that played for us except for Lucius Harris. Ryan wow. Russell redshirted. So you couldn't get away with that today. And so, and we did that because we were in a league with UNLV and we were in a league with Utah State. Utah State had a lot of guys coming back from more missions. We had to get older, we had to get more mature, we had to get tougher. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're able to do. And then, you know, I still kick myself in the rear end for South Florida because it took me too long to figure out. We won games. We won more games than they won before. But I got seduced by just recruiting. I think you got to be able to recruit your geographic footprint. We did that in California. But at South Florida, we we did that and we we recruited well. B.B. Walton, Alton Jackson. We had good players. Reggie Cohen was a great player for us. But we needed – we should have used – uh, and gotten a couple more skilled guys mm. to complement the great athletes that we had. And we won, but we didn't win at the, you know, we won the, uh, our, our half of the conference one year, but we didn't win at the level that quite honestly I expected. Now, you know, they started football when, when I took over the job in South Florida. So they slashed our budget the day I walked in the door, which was not a, a great thing. And uh, But I, I was late to the party. You got to figure out how you're going to win at every school you're at. Because it's different at every school you're at. Yeah. So then I was fortunate to get Virginia Tech, you know, in the Big East when I took the job, and um, I just thought again, geographic footprint meant we had to recruit Philadelphia, through DC, Virginia, North Carolina, and because of Michael Vick, right, Atlanta. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, our first year we were fortunate. Uh, we signed Xavier Nadell from Florida. That was different because I, I was recruiting him prior. Jamon Gordon was committed, but we got him to recommit. Coleman Collins was from Atlanta. We got him to recommit. So we had a foundation. And uh, our whole concept was we're not here to be an opponent. We're here to win just like everyone else, whether it was the Big East, whether it was the ACC. We're not here for someone for Georgetown and West Virginia and Syracuse to play. We're here to win games. And that was unrelenting. And that was not optional. And so we were able to get hard playing, tough guys. You know, I mean, you know, those two guys, so people kind of saw what Jamon and Zabian did. And then we guess Deron Washington, who was way under recruited. Mm-hmm. Like it was like ridiculous how under recruited he was. Uh, you know, and we, we, we recruited in four year periods. So I only wanted eight really good players. So, like, you know, that- speak, on, speak on that. Why only eight? I want a front court sub, a wing sub, and a, uh, and a post sub. And then I want guys that are going to buy into developing, being good teammates, and maybe you can get into that top eight. But I didn't want to, I, I don't, I never thought I could keep 10 guys happy. Yeah. 
So, I mean, like, we wanted, like, those other guys, we'd redshirt guys, try to redshirt guys, we'd try to develop guys. We took some swings at but basically what I call evaluating up is you might take a, 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 a six, five center and try to make him a small forward or, mm-hmm. or maybe a guy had one skill set. So, but then on top of that, when that group was ready to graduate, then we got, you know, Malcolm and Jeff Allen and, yeah. you know, Eric Green and, and, you know, Duran was still around. And, you know, I mean, that, that people said we had to fight. We went through a period. We were the, third winningest program in the ACC over five years. And we were the winningest five years in the history of Virginia Tech. Sure. And, and I got fired on the sixth year. Right. <laughs> I mean, and I had Montrez Harrell coming in and I started, mm-hmm. people forget, I started Eric Green as my lone upperclassman. I started four freshmen with him. Yeah. Dorian Finney. So I would have had Dorian Finney-Smith, Montrez Harrell, Eric Green, Robert Brown, Sit Aaron Rain. I mean, I would have had a monster team, but it's either here nor there. But I mean, the, the concept was to recruit those areas. Uh, you know, I mean, so, you know, like the piece we found in Atlanta was Terrell Bell. He complimented mm-hmm. the other guys. So uh, just get them to ha- play hard, trust each other, respect the game, uh, allow themselves to be coached because we coached them hard. We loved them as hard. That's the thing people, oh, you know, he, you know, the way, like you can coach guys hard. The, the whole the whole myth about like that that's the problem in our game today is that coaches I go around I speak to a lot of teams coaches are afraid to coach their team because they're afraid their players are going to transfer be eligible immediately and I say that guy doesn't want to be coached that he can't help you win the game you need to win the games you need to win you'll win the games you're supposed to win but to win the games you need to win you got to have a group of guys that want to be coached I used to do a thing line the guys up at the baseline say want to be coached today across the line once you cross the line, you make you boom. You come were in. You were in. And so if you weren't, if you weren't, then we had a problem. You know, and and so I wasn't because I spent a ton of time with our players off the court. And you know, people would say I'm driven. Like Stacey Palmer, one of my dear former assistants. Like not everyone could play for me. Not everyone could work work with me. Because I'm going to be driven. Because you know what? You're right. Virginia Tech was a hard job when I got it. We didn't have yeah. the press facility. We didn't have an expectation. No one wanted us in the ACC. Our first year in the ACC, people forget, we got to buy in the ACC tournament. We beat Duke with J.J. Redick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Our first year in the Big East, one year we were in the Big East, we beat Georgetown twice, and we beat West Virginia, coached by John Beeline twice. I mean, we weren't going to back down to anyone. We beat Rutgers in the first round of the Big East tournament. It was the hit, first time in the history of Virginia Tech they made the Big East tournament. So, if you coach your players hard to understand that they have, they understand they have an expectation and you love them as hard and you drive them in things that are important that you make a commitment for academics, helping them get better, uh, not allowing them, setting a standard. I don't care what year it is. All right. You can do that. And that's, I think, where we're losing, we're, we're missing it a little bit in, in, in coaching right now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's such a great point um, about, how you can coach them, you know, and, and again, I lived it, you know I mean? I think it took me a while at GW. A lot of times you say there resonated with me. It took me a while at GW to kind of figure out like how, like we got the guys in there. Like you kind of say about stuff where we got the guys in there, but it's like, how does it fit into this whole ecosystem of a campus and all these sorts of things? How does it fit into the, you know, it's, it, you know, sometimes you walk in the door and you can kind of get it right, right away, but you know, there's a challenge in that. And then, you know, when you have like really talented freshmen and we had a couple, like we, 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 we may have three guys will be in the NBA draft conversation next year that won't be at GW. Right. Um, but then when they were younger, I definitely ran into that. You're trying to coach them hard. And because they have sort of the out, it's a, it's a line you're trying to, trying to dance on, you know, and I don't like dancing, you know, <laughs> like I, I want to be able to just tell you what I need to tell you so we can move on. Yeah, and the parents are harder because for the parents right now, especially with NIL, which is not NIL, let's face it, it's pay for play. Let's yeah. call it what it is. Let's enough of it again. With the collectives, it's pay for play and a conversation. You play Kentucky, you got NIL. You play North Carolina, you got NIL. You, you know, there's about 25 schools that, you know, not everyone can be an influencer. Right. Or he's going to be an influencer. Well, like if everyone's an influencer, like there's not enough money for everyone to be an influencer. Right. So, I mean, I mean, it, it is different. But if you're not demeaning and you're demanding and you're challenging and you're upfront in the recruiting process, 
Like I tell people first thing, boom, I'm going to coach you hard every single day. I'm not going to have bad practice now. I said, uh, like, I'm going to be ready to go. That, we come in pre-practice, all right, I'm going to be ready to go. All right, that just and, – and you know what? You need to be ready to – because, you know, be ready to go with me. Because yeah. you can't pick and choose when you're going to, you know, be accountable and responsible and work hard uh, to become what, what our mantra was, the hardest playing, toughest team finds a play to, way to win. Mm. But you got to be that team every day. Like, you can't pick and choose whether you're like, you know, oh, well, you know, it's Wednesday. We don't play till you know, we're off this week. We can play this Saturday. I'm not going to be the hardest playing, toughest team today. Well, that's great. Then you know what's going to happen? some point in Saturday, you might give in to that because it becomes a habit. Because it's hard. It's hard. And uh, and I still think it can work today. I think I, I, I mean, also, I think if I got a coaching job today, I'd be 10 times better than I was. Uh, because I would also give a little bit more. We were very disciplined defensively, but I'd give a little bit more freedom conceptually. Offense. We played really fast. We played fast mm -hmm. off uh, turnovers. But we would play more, you know, more conceptually in early. And I would be much better. So in my last year when I got let go, we lost every single two-point game. I, it was my mistake. I just wanted to get my team to play really hard, be competitive, defend, because it worked with Zabe's team and Jamon's team. It worked with Malkin and Jeff's team. And this team wasn't as uh, tough yeah. yet. 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 Experience. Yeah. But I need to spend more time in special situations, time and score. And I, I needed to realize that because maybe we weren't going to be as 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 tough as we needed to be when we needed to be defensively. So we needed to find a way to close our games. And that, you know, as I look back, that's the one thing that even to this day just kind of irks me because I had all kinds of – our, our veteran teams were great, like late clock and late game. Yeah. I just said, you know, this is the way I do it with this group and this is the way I do it with this group. And, you know, we won a ton of games. And it just shows – Coaching, you got to have it in, in coaching and life in business. You got to have agility. Yeah, you got to have agility to read, react into in, in real time. And yeah. you know that's something that I regret. Let's let's stay along those lines. Um, not of regret, but things that you would do differently. Like one of the things that, and I want our audience to know, like coach gets out and sees a ton of practices through the year, even before the season starts. Obviously, when you're when you're broadcasting the game, you get a chance to watch shoot arounds. But coach is great about coming and watching practice and giving you advice and giving you his thoughts. So, what are some other things that you've seen that you'd want to adapt that you'd want to add into into your coaching regiment? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I do about 25 practices. I can't watch you guys. I, I do about 25 practices a year in in October. Some of them are tied into speaking and and uh, and things of that nature. That uh, that that. I've been fortunate to do. Um, I think the biggest thing is make miss indifferent. I play, I play faster with more flow. Uh, Who's doing the best job of that right now? You think in flow? I mean, really the best job is, is probably Mark few. Mm. Mark few. Watch Kentucky this year. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Yeah. I, I watch Kentucky you. this year. They're going to play with great flow. I think Bill Self does a great job of flow. You know, I think he does a great job. Bill, Bill Self's really, really good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. terrific. I mean, terrific. And he's hard on his guys. He's sarcastic on his guys. Uh, but he doesn't ever cross the line. He's a great teacher. He's innovative. Talk about late game situations. He's unbelievable. Yeah. I would really, really focus on not stopping practice as much. And if I did get in and out quicker, mm. so to practice would have a greater flow. Like, you know, if you want your team to play with flow and you want your team to play with pace, you can't stop every, like, ODOs. I would probably, I would, I would, uh, I would let things stop, maybe even have a smart board right there and then boom, and then get right back. Or send a message. Chris Beard, uh, you know, for his, his, his incident, I would go down there every year for two days. Yeah. And Chris Beard had a really good ability to quick message get out, get back to work. Mm. I mean, so they never lost that momentum of practice. So I, I would do a lot more of that, uh, a lot more of that. I would do a lot more uh, four-minute, five-minute, 
games, especially now, you got to understand, you can, you can put your whole system in, in the summer. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can put all your concepts in, in the summer. So, like, you know, you should be able to, like, in the old days, you know, you had those scrimmages. So, you know, you wanted to have stuff ready for the first scrimmage. And then, you know, you know, and again, we, we scrimmaged Georgetown every year when John was there and we scrimmaged uh, Coach Odom when he was at South Carolina. So two very different scrimmages. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, you know, for Georgetown, we never did it. Like we would do uh, each, we each get five to start with the ball at half court because John was trying to get his stuff in uh, and we'd go up, back, up, back, stop it, boom, do it again. And that's great. But I would do more of getting as soon as you can into time, score, game situations, but not like long timeouts. Yeah. Uh, and I would use, I would get that in, in and out of all of my practices. In other words, I wouldn't just say, because players are smart. They know what the end of practice is. <laughs> they do. So I think a big thing you got to do is like, here's special situations. Most coaches, special situations go where? In the practice. Why do you do the practice players? Don't they, they, you know, some of those guys have one foot in, one foot out by the time. Yeah. You know? why, do you, why, do, why wouldn't you put that, you know, in the first hour practice where you've got literally no distraction to tell the folks. Now, look, I'm going to do stance. I'm going to do closeouts. I mean, the foundation of our defense was closing out and, and moving on the air time to pass. So we were going to do that no matter what. Now, I, I wouldn't do it as long. Like, I was Virginia Tech. We did 45 minutes of half-court defense. Oh, wow. Straight. And it was every day. I mean, game day, we'd go through three closeout drills game day, full speed, live. Game day, we'd guard every action twice, live. And I, that's another thing. I might not do – I do maybe – I got this from Jay Wright, uh, and that is maybe more on the film side, mm. more rest – you know, you know, not load management, but but uh, recovery day, which would be mental. Mm -hmm. I would do a ton, a ton more uh, shooting, uh, and we did our individual workouts. But I'd still even like shooting off of concepts. I would do a ton more within my practice. But the other, just getting up and down, playing on instant, yeah. playing in transition, you know. Herm Edwards, who works at ESPN, he was he was he was with the Bucks when I was at South Florida, and I spent a lot of time. He actually married a gal who worked in South Florida, and so I oh. I'd go down and pick his brain a little bit, just on coaching and and a lot of stuff defensively, like like you yeah. know, like basic corner. They're off the ball, mm -hmm. and like he Herm had this his term. You have to the best players cite stuff quickly and process it, boom, boom, boom. And like, you've got to go live to site stuff, mm -hmm. just the way it is. Now we went live in practice game day because I wanted to raise our guy's temperature. Mm -hmm. I wanted to let them know today's, you know, we got to get ready to go now. Now I did that once we're ready to play Clemson and we're, we're doing pre with, with Coach Purnell and obviously they pressed and they were really aggressive. So Coach Knight was doing the game. So he's up in the stands, and he, my daughter, my oldest daughter, would always sit with him, and and he was he was great to her. We, you know, he's he, she'd bring him something to drink, you know, a snack, and she'd sit with him. She was in school at the time, and every time Coach Knight would do one of my games, and this is what we did. We we actually when I got to work at ESPN, I worked alongside him a couple of times, and we kind of had him back on this thing. But he said, "Your dad, he he he's playing the game at three thirty. Yeah, and basically tell them, you know, tell you that he, he they're practicing too hard, and, and so she'd come down to the coach would leave because coach never even stuck around. He'd speak, come in early and speak to me. Mm -hmm. Ten minutes left to practice, he was boom, he was at the door, and Paige would come and go, Dad, Coach Knight says you're practicing too hard <laughs> today again, and like, you know, I couldn't say, well, Coach Knight doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, and I was, oh, well, Paige, yeah, everyone has different philosophy. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, <laughs> But so, I mean, there are things I would do differently, but I'll tell you one thing. The more you're, I've, I've done what I've been doing, the more I realized I was doing the right things. Yeah. We were, you know, like, I, we tweak a thing or two here or there, but like, 
there was an accountability, there was a responsibility. Guys knew exactly who they were individually mm-hmm. and how they win would win, how to, you know, their role and how to embrace their role and what they why they had their role and why it was important in helping us win. And not that they couldn't do anything else, but why would you show people what you don't do your very best? What you like to me, it's like when we used to send guys to NBA workouts, I'd say, show them the best version of you. You don't have to like, oh, yeah, so-and-so, you're like, Duran's going, he goes, I got to show him I have to shoot the ball. Yeah, you're going to have to shoot some shots, Duran, but no one runs, jumps, defends, is active, as competitive as you are. You know, show them what you do. And I think a lot of times we get caught up and parents get caught up. Oh, my son can do so. He can, but why wouldn't he show people exactly yeah, a, yeah. what he does when he's at his very best. What do you do when you're at your very best? And what can you do with this team to make us better that's different than everyone else? And that's the definition of becoming a winning player. And that's what we that's another thing that we've lost because everyone thinks it's a right passage to go to the NBA. And that's the most exclusive club in the world. Yeah. Everyone's talking about NBA, 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 uh, when they probably should talk about NBA. Yeah, uh, that we've lost track of the value of an education. We've lost track of, you know, like parents. I'm talking guys. Parents don't want to know about academic support anymore. Yeah, role, playing time, and I know. Yeah, it's wild it, because and because that education. My my son-in-law's here, future son-in-law's here here with us today. We were just talking about it, like, like. What, what look, I you can NIL can exist, but you could still be committed to helping someone yeah. become a college graduate, be employable, be a good father, be a good husband, and be successful in life. And you know, in life, there's going to be failure, in life, there's going to be adversity, in life, you're going to get be told things you do not want to hear from someone you're working with. and. You know, but that's not, you know, you got to grind. And, you, you know, you, you know, I mean, in the real world, you can't pick and choose. And and it, it kills me that we, we've lost that. And if I have a coach again, 100%, man, I don't give a damn. I, you know, we're going to value education. And the player is going to value education. And look, you know, you've lived it your whole life. Yeah. You can only graduate someone who wants to graduate. Right. But But you can put demands on people. They almost make it where, you know, whether it's morning study hall, whether it's taking something away, uh, you know, you could do those things and I think it's still win. Yeah. You know, God, you always hit on so many good points. Um, the, the education thing, my parents are both educators. Uh, education is super important to me. Um, <laughs> I think they should be, that should be the center of college whether it's college basketball, college baseball, whatever. Um, And I do feel like we're losing that in the sense of saying that everyone can be an influencer. Everyone can be this or be that. And, you know, I've had some really good teams. You've had some really good teams. And none of those players can be NBA players. They might just be great college players and great people. And there's skills that you're learning in college that are super valuable. Um, And, again, I'm not one who's against NIL at all. Um, Either am I. I would love for people to – not make that the only goal, uh, you know, to figure out how to maximize all these things together. And I definitely feel like, you know, I think I heard something like 90% of NIL are, is through the collectives. Yeah, it's paid for and, and, Right. And I, I can't understand why we allowed collectives to even exist when we talk NIL, right? If you want to be an influencer coach, go be an influencer. See, what, that's a true market. Um, the collectives are making the market. The players are not making the market. Yeah, and 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 and, and the way the market is obviously in the transfer market because yeah. it's more of a proven commodity. So now you have high school kids that are losing opportunities, which is is really really hard. Yeah, it, it there's a I I have no problem. I'm all for the NIL. That's the people. You know, I get these people on social media, and they you know, and they don't get it. It's like the transfers thing today. Uh, you see guys transfer multiple times, and then on the third time they're transferring, they're looking at seven schools. Yeah. Like, dude. Like, you don't, you should, like, when you transfer, you should not allow yourself to be recruited. You should find what's important to you, style of play, opportunity to play, role, 
education, whatever it is, you got to figure out what's important to you. And then which school offers you that best out? You can't look at 10 schools. Like I'll tell you one thing, when I, when I had, a, when I recruited a kid that, that was you know down to like 10, I walked. Yeah. A kid, you know, you just can't, you know, and so I'm all, I'm all for NIL, but, but, you know, and, and the collective thing is, is hard. It's, it's, it's a really, it, it's unrealistic because I, I really believe so these kids are doing well and a lot of guys are making a significant amount of money. These guys aren't NBA players. They got to go to Europe. We know Europe and, you know, you've had players go to Europe. It isn't about potential like the NBA. Right. It's about productivity. Yeah. So say, say a kid's making a quarter million dollars, $200,000, $150,000. Now they're going to Europe and they're making $70,000. Right. All right. After taxes and everything else. All right. And say they get cut because there's a good chance if you don't produce, you can get cut. Absolutely. Uh, I worry about the mental health aspect of it. Like you take a kid, he's making $400,000 in NIL in two years of college, which is great. We know $400,000 a year is really, you know, probably 300000 mm -hmm. You buy a car. You try to do something nice for your family. You're not putting money away. You're paying your taxes. Um, now, all of a sudden... You know, say maybe at the end of those two years, you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Yep. Maybe you know, who knows? Maybe yeah. You know. Now you're going overseas because you're not a so you're crushed. You're not a pro. You get cut in the NBA summer league. No one's signing you to a two way, and now you're going someplace that no one speaks English, and you're making seventy thousand dollars. You're not flying on charter planes. You're not staying at Ritz Carlton's. You're not going to Ruth's Chris. You're not getting sneakers every time you sneeze. All right, you're paying for them, all right, or unless your college coach continues to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And where's the mental health? And you don't have your degree yet, right? Right. right? Where's the mental health aspect? Or, or these kids are going overtime elite that aren't NBA players that aren't going to college, and then they fail. Where do they go back to? Yeah, agreed. Where do they go back? What are they part of? Or a kid who transfers three times, like I'm doing the TBT. There's a lot of these guys that have transferred away from the original school multiple times, mm -hmm. and now are playing for the original school they went to, which, I think <laughs> yeah. really, which has been really fast. Which I think, I, I actually, it makes me feel good because at least that's where they have roots and they feel part yeah. of. Yeah. But I mean, those all those like we talk about mental health and mental health is real, but we're also we're almost empowering or putting young people in situations where they have a greater opportunity to, to fail yeah. and then have serious emotional repercussions. Right. But yeah, it scares me. I mean, right. it scares but me. It, it won't be on their watch. It's how they're that, you know, that's how they're sort of look at it. Like this isn't on us because this guy's three, four years down the road. And, and again, I think a big part of the education part is trying to teach someone how to be a fisherman, not just how to fish. You know, yeah, um, and it's it's just it's it's scary to me. Uh, and I and it, like the other thing is like I, I love people. Oh, coaches run guys off all the time. No, man, coaches don't run guys off all the time. Right? Coaches really don't care. They just want to win. I know, really, coaches ninety nine point nine percent of them really care and want to make sure that guy when he leaves is a better place than he than he right. is, whether he, whether he's playing or not. It's it's almost a miss. Or coach, uh, you know, he needs to go play for the, you know, G League Ignite or 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 overtime elite. You can learn the NBA game. No, basketball is basketball. Pass, catch, pivot, take good shots. Understand. I mean, you don't think college coaches and in individual workouts and their team stuff, they might have a different set of rules in terms of the clock. They're teaching basketball, winning basketball, how to play hard, how to compete, a good shot versus bad shot, how to read screens, how to wait on screens, how to play off a two man game, how to play, you know, read read the weak side defenders and ball screens like. It's almost like college basketball. It's we're like a target. Yeah, and it's sad because we're doing a lot of great things, except the messaging is so poor. Yeah. Well, I would, you know, being on the outside of it and doing some media stuff, you have to do some media stuff. I think what you get in college is you get people who are going coming into a sport for for the first time, like entry level people moving into the sport that are learning it's educational um you get people who are passionate about uh, a team or a subject and it's sort of the way that they can make their name um and i think that's really always a dangerous component 
Yeah, I just don't think we – I think it's easy. A lot of coaches are making so much money in it. Like in my generation, none of us got into coaching for money. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean I, – I mean, You don't like, even I, make any money until you get to the power of – you know, a certain level. You have to get to a certain yeah. level before you're really making any real money. I mean, my, I, I never had I never had a coaching agent. I never asked what I was getting paid at Long Beach State, South Florida. Uh, at Virginia Tech, I actually accepted less than they wanted to offer me and actually bumped me a little bit, but I never negotiated. Even when we won Coach of the Year and had some schools have an interest in me, I never really renegotiated in terms of – I just wanted to coach. Yeah, I just wanted to. Co- I mean, like, I th- it was a privilege to have a team and coach and in- try to impact someone. And uh, now, look, I I made a good living. I didn't make the, the money. The money now is insane. But, yeah. but, but, it wasn't. It. I still think the coaches that are coaching, they really love and care about their players, whether they're playing or not. They want to help build a bridge for them to cross. They want to hold them accountable, but it's been harder. Or, or in their minds, it's been harder. Yeah. And they want their guys to be successful after basketball, whether as parents, as husbands, as as community members. And I think that's that message isn't coming across. Let's put it that yeah. way. People, people look at the paychecks and they – I think it's easy like in business. It's like uh, – I don't want to say a corporation, but a corporation could pay their CEO a lot of money. And that CEO could not care about – the people that have that product, right? There's just yeah. revenue. It's an Excel spreadsheet. We're going to make as much money as possible. But the proximity that you have as a coach makes it really difficult to not care. Yeah. Um, and I think people like to look at that paycheck and they say, well, this person must not care or the coaches are a problem or the issue. Um, there's all problems on both sides of everything. Um, but the guys that I know, mo- the majority of the guys, I mean, there are some guys you go, this guy does not care about kids. Um, but the majority of the guys that I know only do this because they love it. And then if they're out of it, they're working camp and they're spending time with other kids and training kids. And Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, like I think most guys are I think most just really care and want to see, yeah. you know, want to do for someone else that someone did for them. I mean, that's yeah. it goes back to my coach. Allen thing. And my my college coach was Alabama. I mean, I went to Fairleigh Dickinson because I wanted to play for him. And learn. I knew I wanted to coach. I wanted to work, you know, and he had an impact on me. My high school coach had an impact on me, uh, you know, and uh, shoot. I mean, my wife made a whole lot more money than me uh, until my second head coaching job. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, like, you know we're raising three kids. And, you know, my, my first job was 12-5. My second job was all of 20. My third job was... Well, at Miami was 20 again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 10 years into the business. <laughs> right. right. You know, I mean, you know, like it's not, it's, it's not what everyone thinks, but you know, look, I've been, I've been so, so I don't take for granted one day, my journey, uh, the people that impacted me, whether it's in my coaching career or now what I'm doing TV, like I work with the greatest people in the world. All they want us to do is have a good show. That's all he wants to do. And you got a group of people. There's no hidden agenda. Hey, researchers, producers, directors, they just want you to have a good show. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I've been, I've been, I've, I've been really, really lucky and fortunate because it's, uh, you know, and I've been fi- and I've been fired, you know, twice. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I've always wanted to ask you this question because you seem like a person who's great passion for the game. What was the moment that you recognized your passion for the game? I don't think there was a moment I didn't have. My, my dad played for the legendary Claire B. I'll tell you the, the one that made me really, when I was really, really young. So Coach B used to run a camp called Kutcher's Basketball Camp. Coach B was one of the greatest coaches in the history of our game, LIU. And, and, just, and so Coach B would go around and recruit kids to go to camp. Which is amazing. Like he's one of the coach, greatest coaches in the history of the game. It was Coach Knight's mentor. And I don't know, I was seven years. I got a, I got one of his books back here, one of his coaching books, which he gave us. And I was seven years old, probably, whatever. And he came by the house. And uh I still remember sitting downstairs in our house and looking my, at my dad, look at him. 
And they're talking about, and the conversation was above my head, but it was seeing my dad look at him the way he looked at him mm. and hung on every word. And, you know, he called him Coach B. And, you know, and I knew then, and then I went to Five Star when I was a, in ninth grade in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And I listened to UB Brown do a lecture on the outdoor courts at Honesdale. Wow. And uh, I was mesmerized. Those two situations uh, in my life were very, very vivid in like, you know, and I, and I was in love with the game. I mean, I, I still am. I mean, I'm, I, people think I'm nuts. I spent three hours a day right now in off season watching film and taking notes, working on my notebook for the season. And my wife thinks I'm nuts. I'm, you know, I'll, sit, you know, I'll sit down here in my office. I have to set up where I got my laptop hooked up to the TV so I can see stuff. Got my treadmill right over here. So I can run treadmill, even though I'm on injury reserve with this broken leg, but I'm, I'm, you know, I can watch tape and, and, I just, I enjoy it. I mean, the only thing is what I'm doing now, the only person I'm impacting is a gambler. <laughs> you know, when you coach. Now, what I try to do is with our researchers and the young kids and our our people in, in screening, like I'll try to spend time with them and get to know them and, you know, teach them things that makes my job easier to be honest with you. Know, what I'm looking for in video or what clips I want because I can get it off Synergy. But I don't impact someone's life like you, you know, like you yeah, do yeah. when you Every cook. Day. Yeah, yeah, and so and, and good and bad. Look, I'm not gonna say my name. I have group players that love me to death. There are players that you know, you probably like want to smack me around. I mean, but I was consistent in terms of what I was trying to do with everyone, at least in yeah. my in my heart of hearts. You know, uh, all all the players are great. You love them all. They're all your favorites. I think the best group is the is the group of guys small group where they left and there was some friction and then a few years later they reach out and they they have a family and they realize what you're doing oh let me tell you like haven jackson played for me in south florida raheem brown played for south florida both transferred i get something from them on birthdays when their <laughs> kids are born uh haven he lives in he's unbelievable dad uh to his daughter he uh when the final four was in San Antonio, we got together, had lunch, and I was really big on food for thought. So I'd always have these little things I would hand out to our team all the time just to kind of stimulate and get them thinking. And uh, we're sitting at lunch. He goes, Coach, you know, I still I kept all those, those those things that you gave us. And he said, I use them with my Salesforce now. Wow. And that was kind of cool. I mean, it was just, you know. Because you, you do those things, you never know if they're paying attention. No, yeah. And Raheem, I mean, Raheem Brown had a great career in, in, in Australia. He's just done great. And, you know, you know, he'll see, find out it's my anniversary. I'll get, you know, something on Facebook or time. I mean, th th that, that kind of stuff is, you know, you're from Bobby Sears at Long Beach State. Or during COVID, I, I did a couple of Zoom calls with a bunch of former players from my first recruit at, at Columbia to my last recruit, my last team at Virginia Tech. Wow. You know, like 70 or 80 guys on there just like just checking in, just checking in. And and uh, that was that that was actually pretty rewarding. Of course, the manager set it up for me. <laughs> some things never change. Yeah. Um, quickly, what are some things that you've learned by being on the TV side of it that you didn't realize when you're on the basketball side of it? Well, I mean, like, like yeah, it's a lot more to it. <laughs> I mean, there's, <laughs> lot, there's a lot of folks. It's not just yeah. the guy like we have easy jobs like TV. Like I'm talking ball. I've talked ball my whole life. You know, you can't say curse words. Uh, but I mean, I've talked about, I mean, I, that's just what I love to do. The number of people that are really committed to, to it, like I said before, helping you have a good show, I think is unbelievable. I mean, it really is. And how selfless they are and how much they care about what they're doing. They're selfless teammates wow what they are uh so that that's important uh two is what i knew already but like when coaches say i don't listen to that stuff they listen to everything like yeah. and, I, and i'm not i'm you know people say oh you know you know reese will say oh it's all about the coaches because and look i tell the truth like john calipari is one of my closest friends when they play crappy 
All right, we had a game. We were going to Florida, Kentucky, Florida at Kentucky, and they just got their brains beat in by South Carolina. He got thrown out. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. And I basically told it the way it was. I said, look, you know, this is unacceptable. The effort was unacceptable. This year you're in North Carolina. I said, it's a privilege to put on that jersey. It's not a rite of passage. I said, they're, pl- they're playing for those who played before them. It's embarrassing that they're not representing the brand. But back to the Kentucky thing. So that was tu- that was a Tuesday, SEC, Super Tuesday. I go to I go to Lexington on Thursday to go early to watch practice. And everyone's like, you know, people in the Big Blue Nation are killing me. Oh, you know, how disrespectful this and that. I get there for uh, Thursday practice. Cal grabs me because I want you to speak to our team. And like, the, and I know these kids because I worked his fantasy camp and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so I knew him. He go, I like, go like, you're, you sure? He goes, yeah, they all heard. I play, I played your, your piece after the game to him. So I want you to just look him in the eye and explain yourself. And I walked into their their film room, and like I, I guess they do, and I just I was honest. And that was right. That was Shea Gilgis Alexander, Kevin Knox, and that group. And I just told him, I said, you know, like, like you guys got to play like you're lost in each other. You got to play. You guys got to do what you do well. You guys got to trust each other. You got to respect the other guy breaks. I said, Kevin Knox, how many points you score in high school? He said, I don't know. I said, you're full of shit. You know exactly how many points. You score. <laughs> yeah. He told me it was like two thousand five hundred. It was crazy. <laughs> I said, uh, like, he's going to get shots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Shea Gilch, I said, like, like, coach, put the ball in your hand. That means it's your team. You, you're like, it's your team. Yeah. And I just went right around the room. I just said, like, I, look, I think the world of you guys, I said, it, it's hard to watch when you guys don't respect each other, respect the game. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, I've had to say stuff about my dearest friends. Is You know, like, I tell the truth. Like, and, and like Cal grabbed me, I said, man, I said, is that all right? He goes, look, you don't have an agenda. There are scorpions out there. There are guys that have agendas. They're just waiting for certain guys to fail. Mm-hmm. All right. And there are guys that don't know what they don't know. That's just the way it is. I mean, uh, and that's not, oh, you are you coach. You know, well, it is a little different when you're living at 24, seven, seven days a week. Yeah. Or 12 months a year. But, but as long as you tell the truth, then you know, that's fine. I, I try to say things at half times, and that's a look where a coach could play it back to his team because it's the same messaging that he's saying to his team. Yeah. And that's and that happens. And that's when I know that I'm being fair and honest. And but uh, you know, my transition is just be myself and talk ball. And I've been fortunate you know, working with Jay Will, working with Losfonso. Working with Jay, working with Reese, you know, you're working with pros, pros. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, easy. Even though, like, Bills and I, we surely don't look at at the game. We look at the game pretty similar. We look at the profession yeah. uh, through the same prism. Jay Will don't, and I don't look at the profession through, you know, coach, you know, things through the same prism. But we can agree to, to disagree and we can be respectful doing it. And after it's done, even if we're, you know, we go to dinner and laugh and, you know, uh, to me, it's just a respect. And, you know, I'm, I'm as driven now as I was when I was coaching. Uh, and like state, like I said, state, Stacey Palmer had the greatest line. I said, coach, if, if someone's not driven, they, they, they shouldn't be around you. Yeah. That's just the way it is. He said, now you, you know, like all those guys, Jr. and Stace, you know, when it hits some, detours and bumps in the road we talk all the time but i'm supposed to be just like oh killer guy on coach no but i'm driven man i'm driven i have a fear of failure there's no doubt about it and i am i am a hard charging grind every single day take no days off you know find solutions not not problems that's yep. uh, you know but i tell people who i am before they work with me too and you know some work some don't work I mean, it's, it is what it is um, so last thing I have for you, we do this thing on last call. It's the end of the night. The bartender rung the bell last call. Um, you've got two people beside you on the left side of you. You have someone who's retired on the right side of you. You have someone st- who's still actively working and no family. What two people? Yeah. Do you yeah. Have? No family's okay. Cause if I didn't say my wife, I'd, <laughs> I'd be in trouble. No, 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 no family. So you're off the hook with that. You can blame it on me. 
probably uh, retired uh, being a coach at Holland has passed. Um, just off the top of my head, someone who was really good to me when I was at Long Beach State, he was the head coach of the Clippers, Larry Brown, the smartest oh, wow. basketball person that I've ever been around. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of someone who's still in it, uh, that's a, in college or NBA or it could be any anywhere. It doesn't even have to be in basketball. It could be all the whole spectrum. The whole spectrum. Uh, I don't want to just throw a name out to throw a name out because uh, that's disrespectful to a person that might be. Uh, hmm. I would say who's still who's still in in the profession. Mm -hmm. I. I it would be either I'm mean, just two two of my dear friends, either either Izzo or, or Cal, just because they both entertain me on a daily basis. <laughs> Hurley, 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 he's too young, but he entertains me on a daily basis as well. <laughs> but I mean, like, I mean, you gotta say, like, like for me, the guys that had similar journeys in terms of um like not being on the road, not like just sitting and BSing. You know, those are the guys you know you miss. Yeah. You know, you know, like, like, and that I'm I'm not sure because of the money now if it's the same, if the camaraderie is. Remember now, there was no money back then. Yeah. You know, so you know, I mean, you know, there's there's a ton of there's a ton there's a ton of people uh, that have been so good to me. I mean that I, you know that I'm indebted to uh, along the way. Uh, that in, you know, like, but Coach Holland obviously is in a class by himself. But uh, that I, you know, I've been look, I've been ridiculously, you know, some people say blessed, fortunate to travel the road that I've traveled. And you know, uh, you know, you get birds. Some people think you burn them, but I, I, I've been. I don't ever. I don't have. I probably the only regret I would have is I wish I, at times, probably was a little more patient. You know, if you want one trait, but then if I was a little more patient, I'm not sure I would have had the same drive that enabled me to maybe have the success that I had. But I mean, you know, that's probably a a trait now that I've gotten pretty good at. Yeah. Uh, you know, my wife probably will obviously say not so good, but <laughs> probably pretty good at because uh, I have more freaking, especially since I've hurt this foot. I've really got a lot of free time. I mean, but uh, no, I, I've been, you know, David, I, I've been really, really, uh, I don't take any day for granted of what's happened to me or um, where I am uh, because, you know, if you, if you look back, I've, I've been very, very fortunate and, uh, and, you know, I don't take that for granted because it's hard. The profession is hard and it beats you up. It, you know, it impacts family, impacts parenting, impacts, you know, moving your daughter her senior year of high school is hard. Yeah. Not being able to dropping my daughter off at Villanova as opposed to maybe have her go to Virginia Tech like my other two daughters did. And by the time I moved them into the their dorms, I was moving our team in at the same time. They're in my office, their feet on my desk. You know, that's that's different. I couldn't even get my daughter into the Villanova dorm because I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had my wife do it. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of things. I think the biggest thing is you got to have a great support system. You got to have you, one, one advice I would give to coaches. And I know I'm going over, but once you become a head coach, you work your tail off to become a head coach. If you don't take time to enjoy it, you're making a mistake mm. because you work your ass off your whole life to get to that pinnacle of having an opportunity to have your own team and run your own show. And, and it can't be a burden. You mm. got put your arms around it and enjoy it. And I wasn't good at that my first year as a head coach. The second thing is um, health and family. Don't take either of those for granted. Like like your family, when you, if you were in this profession, man, you're only as good as your family because when the shit hits the fan, the people that are going to truly have unconditional love for you are going to be your family. your family. That's awesome. That's awesome, coach. That's well said. Um, 
Thank you for joining us today on Last Call. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.